0: Chris here, and welcome to the show. Chris Justice is your guy. From Sanfiru to Mark and LLP, want to reach out to Chris when the show's not happening. You can. Great guy to talk to. Get the information off the, off the start, 1-855-821-5900, help at employmentlawyer.ca. In a couple minutes, we'll get to our first topic, top mistakes employers make. That is on the way. And if we have time, maybe some email, but uh, we'll have to see about that one. But Chris, we always start off with the other week that was a case of the day. What do you got going on?
1: yeah so today i thought it was uh, actually something i've spoken before on the show about but it has to do with uh, return to work and and returning to work uh, now that the pandemic has been going on for quite a while a lot of employers of course asking their employees to come back into the office Uh, sometimes it's on a part-time basis sometimes it's on just a full-time basis back to the regular say nine to five monday to friday that they may have had in place before the pandemic and a lot of people are still coming to me asking me questions about what their rights are in a situation like this you know i'm an employee i've been working from home for the last two three years i've shown that i can do the job completely from home makes practical sense it works for me but now my employer is coming to me and saying we want you back into the office and so people a lot of people are incorrectly assuming that they can say no to their employer that they can tell their employer that because of the last two, three years being from home, because it's been effective, that they should have or do have the right to insist that that work arrangement just continues on when for the most part they don't, or at least they're at very serious risk of having been seen as quitting their job if they fail to come back as per their employer's request. Now part of this is going to involve a contract perhaps, you know, you might have a contract that you've signed that says, uh, you can work remotely from home for an indefinite period of time, or you've got something in writing from the company that says you can work from home for an indefinite period of time. And it's not just uh, until we get back to the office kind of thing. But a lot of people also have contracts that predate the pandemic saying that they're supposed to be in the office nine to five on a regular basis. And so Of course, their employer saying that to the extent they have been working from home, that was always just meant to be a temporary thing until the pandemic subsided, until things got back to more of a sense of normalcy. So you definitely don't want to assume as an employee that you have the unilateral right to stick to your guns and stay at home unless there's some kind of clear contract, something clearly in writing that says you're to work indefinitely from home. Um, and so I wanted to, uh, again, just sort of dispel any uh, misconceptions people may have. Now, another thing I wanted to mention on this topic was that if you're somebody who has been working from home and as a result have maybe taken your kids inside, maybe you're um, having them uh, be taught from the home, maybe you've just got added childcare responsibilities um, that you're taking on now that you have a remote work situation and your employer saying, you know, we want you back on Monday in the office 9 to 5. Well, as a parent, you're going to have uh, to accommodate, you know, your kids. The situation, and so is your employer. You're going to have to look for maybe daycare. You're going to have to look for someone to take, uh, to, to cover, taking over from from looking after those kids. And your employer can't just say, you know, if you're not here on Monday next week, we're going to let you go or, or whatever. They've still got to. You know, obliged by their duty to accommodate and and offer you the time to sort of get some arrangements in place. So there are some situations where, as an employee, you're going to have a little bit of leeway, leeway at least in terms of you know when you come back. But in general, um, unless there's something in writing, you're going to be very hard pressed to sort of just uh, assume that you could continue working indefinitely. Good
0: stuff. Uh, good opening uh, topic, pal. I want to get to our uh, main topic for the night now as well. Top mistakes employers make. We'll get to that after a wee break. That uh, topic and maybe some emails and your phone calls as we continue the Employment Law Show. Stand by. Okay, top mistakes employers make. Number one, Chris, improperly distinguishing between an independent contractor
1: and an employee. Yeah, this is always a big one. You know, employers believe that if a contract give somebody the label of independent contractor, and employees for that matter, or they're just being told or have the understanding that they're an independent contractor, that they're therefore an independent contractor, when people just need to always realize that it's the law that makes the decision as to whether or not somebody's an independent contractor or an employee. And it's very important because misclassifying someone as an independent contractor um or or if someone is actually an independent contractor, they're not going to get the same rights and entitlements that an employee gets. And if you've been, let's say, at a company for two decades and someone's claiming you're an independent contractor and and therefore, let's say, you're not owed any severance, but they're actually wrong and you're an employee, then you could be potentially foregoing upwards of two years of severance. So, so big huge difference between these two, but they get conflated a lot these two concepts. And employers, frankly, misclassify employees all the time. They think that, as I say, if there's a contract telling you something, that that's the truth or... If somebody's got their own business that they invoice through and take care of their own taxes, that that automatically means there's no chance they're going to be considered an employee when there's so many different factors that go into determining who's an employee and who's not that you're definitely going to want to seek some legal advice before just assuming one way or another. Um, Because as I say, you know, the difference between the two, depending on what we're talking about, severance or overtime or holiday pay, vacation, you know, a lot of these things that employees get, um, you could just be unknowingly um, sort of foregoing without even realizing it.
0: Another a mistake. They make a big one is fail- if you can believe this still happens, failing to take harassment complaints seriously.
1: Yeah. Or if they do take the harassment complaint uh, into consideration, they don't conduct uh, a proper investigation. You know, it's just riddled with flaws um, but yeah, certainly taking uh, complaints seriously is vital. Um, a lot of people, a lot of employers, still don't. They think that maybe the problem will resolve itself. Um, the whole adage, boys being boys, uh, they might try to, you know, have the employees themselves figure it out, or just, as I say, kind of let it sort of get brushed under the rug. And that's, you know, a huge red flag. And, and the employer, of course, is going to be in a lot hot hot water for doing that. But also, even if they investigate, a lot of times you'll see the investigation's very biased. They'll almost have the conclusion in their mind um, and then sort of work backwards from there and gather the evidence against the employee in that sense. A lot of times the investigator themselves is an employee to some extent of the company, and then there's issues of partiality there. Um, so yeah, employers definitely need to conduct investigations, but they also have to do them swiftly and correctly. They got to make sure they do it from a non-biased perspective and whether they do it or they don't, um, you know, even in today's day, you're still finding a lot of employers uh, misstepping when it comes to these things. And yeah, you've, you've got serious issues at play and, and that not only can lead to someone effectively being constructively dismissed as a result of a faulty investigation, but also other forms of punishment uh, to the employer for things like reprisal mm-hmm. um, and whole, whole, a whole host of issues that, that can come with this. So it's very important that employers take these things seriously. Um, and, uh, as I say, kind of come from a place that's impartial as possible.
0: Number three, now assuming it's okay to place someone on a temporary layoff, and a lot of employees would assume that's okay too, actually.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, there is some reference in, in certain aspects of the law that speak to an employer's ability to lay somebody off, but in general, despite there being that reference, overall employer's uh, do not actually have the authority to place somebody on a temporary layoff, even if it is temporary, even if it is due to, say, a slowdown in business. um, could be on a whim as well, but but they just don't have generally this inherent right to do it. And a lot of employers mistakenly believe they do. A lot of employees think that it can happen. And these employees that think they can happen just sort of let it happen. And then later on, maybe they find out it can't necessarily happen in that way. But now it's too late because you as an employee have waited several months. Or maybe you've been laid off several different times before realizing that there isn't this general right. And again, that can be too late. So they don't have this automatic right. Um, And unless you as an employee specifically agree to the layoff, or give the company the permission to lay you off, or maybe there's a a contract again at play that mentions the employer's ability to place you on a layoff, Um, the employer generally doesn't have this right. And if you're in the situation where this is sort of being imposed on you, as an employee, you can interpret that at law as a termination, as a constructive dismissal, and essentially go after the employer for your full severance rights.
0: Number four is this, firing an employee for cause when it isn't warranted, they haven't built it up yet.
1: Yeah, a lot of times employers, especially for long term service employees who might otherwise be looking at a pretty large severance package, uh, employers uh, far too often, I find, try to build this case. And, and a lot of times it's a flimsy case um, for just cause to let that person go. Because, of course, if an employer can make out just cause and establish, say, for example, there's this serious act of willful misconduct then there is technically a possibility they could let somebody go and not have to provide them with any severance on the way out. Just that these circumstances are very, very, very rare. It's very hard for an employer to meet that threshold. They literally have to show to a court that they've done everything they can before jumping to that. And whether you're looking at employers who just simply go from 0 to 100 and let you go for cause over one incident. Or you've got employers that might be referring to a series of incidents, but they just haven't papered their file that well. There's no official warnings given. The employee doesn't realize the severity of the conduct. I I still see a lot of employers misstepping when it comes to this, and they need to be careful because to allege just cause and deprive somebody potentially of you know massive amounts of severance yeah. and it actually not hold water or, even worse, just be completely done in bad faith, is going to expose that employer to a whole number of penalties, whether it's wrongful dismissal damages, punitive damages, severance, potentially human rights damages. It'll depend on the circumstance. But, you know, again, it's, it's something that employers want to be very careful about.
0: Let's get uh, Vince on the line here. Hey, Vince, thanks for hanging on. How are you? i'm
2: great how are you guys
0: doing i'm good guy what's good, uh, what's your question
2: well i want to try and figure out if i'm considered a subcontractor or an actual employee because cool. my boss says i'm a subcontractor but from listening to the show, show several times i kind of think i'm an employee because he does make me invoice him i had to get a sole proprietorship business license right he does make, he does make me invoice him but he stopped making me invoice him and he says just hand in your hours And I'll just pay you by your hours, and you take care of your taxes and your CPP and unemployment insurance and all that kind of stuff. I drive a company vehicle. I work for the same company every single day. I work for the same guy every single day. I'm not going from job site to job site to job site. I do the exact same job every single day for the same man and drive the same company vehicle every single day.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's good um, good that you called in because, as I was saying before, there's a lot of times this misclassification. And just because you may be responsible for taxes or invoice through a business or not, that alone is not going to be enough to have somebody uh, seen as an independent contractor or a subcontractor for purposes of the law. And and like you say, you mentioned a lot of things that typically come with your employee-employer relationship. You know, company car. You're probably subject to the direction of this this employer. I mean, they may set your hours. They may set your pay. You may represent yourself to the public and to customers as being affiliated with this business or as, a, as being an employee of this business um, a lot of it sometimes comes down to how much control the employer or, the, or the, the company has over you and also how exclusive the relationship is i mean you mentioned working solely for this company you probably very much depend on the income from this company And again, it's very different than someone who might be working for 10 different companies doing what they want, you know, sort of a mercenary for hire, so to speak, have absolute control over everything. Um, versus maybe a situation like yours, where it seems to be a lot of factors showing the control that they have over you. Maybe you're subject to performance reviews. Maybe you've got an office that you go in. Maybe you've got a business card with your name on it, with the company's name on it. So there's a, a, ver- a, variety, a variety of different examples that can show, you know, this is actually something that looks, smells, and feels more like your typical employee-employer type setup. Even if there is one or two things that might be a little atypical. And as I say, a lot of times uh, you weigh everything in column A and everything in column B, it's going to massively point towards it being actual employee-employer type relationship. And as I say, if you ever get let go or anything comes up where employees have rights that you're being deprived of, you, know, you could be talking about, you know, big amounts of money.
2: Okay, so the best thing to do is maybe contact your office tomorrow and maybe set up a consultation and and just uh, give you everything that I have, and that way you can give me a better idea because I'm being told that He's either going to close the company or he's planning on selling the company. And I was just wondering if that's the case, if I'm going to be entitled to any type of severance after being with them for 12 and a half years.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it seems like you're being a bit proactive. So, you know, in the event this happens, yeah, you'll be well-equipped, you'll be well aware of what your rights are. So I definitely recommend you book a consultation. And as a 12-year guy, I mean, you could be entitled to 12 months or more, maybe a year and a half of compensation, uh, depending on your circumstances. So absolutely. I mean, it's literally the difference probably of zero or or something as much as a year and a half for you.
2: Perfect. Well, you answered my question and, uh, I look forward to having a consultation with you guys.
1: Absolutely.
0: Thanks, Vince. Appreciate the call, and the information is a great example there, and its eight two one fifty nine hundred. 821 1-855-821-5900. And it's uh, Ethan. Hey, Ethan. How are you? Uh, pretty good. All right. What's, uh, what's on your mind? I work
2: for a pretty large company. I've been working there for eight years part-time, and they just announced that in two years they're moving the location from Mississauga to Hamilton and they would be moving everybody over and I was just wondering if I did not want to make that move what would my rights be
0: great question great question
1: yeah and so normally when an employer makes a significant change to the terms of your employment and that can include location you know how far you're having to commute um, and it's being imposed on you that's going to constitute a construct dismissal Now, in your particular case, I think where the employer has been a bit smart is to give that amount of notice to you because oftentimes I find that employers will go to employees and say, you know, next week we're moving from, you know, Hamilton to Barrie you know, or, or maybe next month we're moving from Hamilton to Barrie and now all of a sudden the person has to consider, you know, a, a commute one way that's two or three times as long, which is a clear constructive dismissal and there isn't really much notice being given. In your case, even if the location is far enough away that would constitute a constructive dismissal, that would constitute something significant, by your employer giving you two years of notice – in law, that's going to give you the ability to ultimately decide if you want to accept the change or not. And so that, you know, employers can satisfy their obligations to employees by either giving them a sufficient amount of notice, which I would say two years is definitely sufficient, or if they're not going to, then they have to essentially, you know, be at risk of having to pay out severance when it's more of a, you know, effective immediately type change. Um, I can, I'd be happy to chat with a a bit more about it with you, Ethan, but I do think that, you know, the idea of giving somebody two years to decide is going to probably work in favor of the employer. And so if that's not something you're willing to do, presumably, um, you would spend the next two years, maybe thinking about it more and, and maybe even going at other jobs, right? And if you're going to look for other jobs that are close by and you're still working at this company in the next say two years your employer also has to give you time off to attend interviews and that kind of stuff. But I, as I say, I think they were smart by giving you that amount of notice, which I, I usually don't find is the case, and that's where it becomes most problematic.
2: Yeah, that's what I figured. Just wanted to make sure. Thank you. No
1: Thanks, worries. No worries.
0: That's it. Yeah. If you want to uh, talk a little more, any other questions about your situation, you can always reach out to itself, one 855 821 Moving on down to uh, Jake. Hey, Jake, how are you? Jake, I understand his connection a little weak. Jake, can you hear me? You. There you are. Hey, what's up, yep. pal? Hey. hey, how are Go you? Go ahead. There you are. What's your question, pal?
2: Uh, uh, hi, guys. Um, what I'm wondering is if I can have some more information about accommodations. Um, so if you get accommodations suggested from a, a medical practitioner and they, they they give it to your employer, what is the employer's obligation to sort of uh, explore those um potential accommodations?
1: Yeah, so it's a good question. Actually, a company in general, an employer, is going to have an obligation to accommodate any employee uh, with a medical condition that can affect their ability to carry out their duties. So say, for example, you have a note, uh, some sort of document from your doctor or treatment provider, and the note sort of outlines what your limitations are. You know, maybe you can't lift a certain amount of weight or bend at a certain angle or degree, You know, generally speaking, your employer, your employer is going to have to accommodate that, even if it is an inconvenience to them. And it's going to be very hard for an employer to say that's too big of an accommodation. It is possible, um, but they would have to show what's known as undue hardship. And the bigger the company, the harder that's going to be to show. Um, But as I say, in general, you've got a note outlining your limitations. Assuming you can still do uh, a good majority of your job, your employer is going to have to accommodate that. Um, And if they fail to accommodate it or say that it's too much of an inconvenience and don't really bother, you know, discussing that any further with you, then that employer could easily be seen as having failed in its duty to accommodate um, and could be at risk of uh, having to pay your full severance because there's an implied duty to accommodate and they would be breaching that duty, uh, as well as potential human rights damages because you could say that you've got a disability needing accommodation and your employer has discriminated against you on that basis. So. Um, I guess depending on how things evolve, there, there could be definitely a situation where you have some options, but you know generally you've got to provide a note limit, uh, outlining those limitations and then your employer will then be on the hook to have to um, accommodate those limitations. Great. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. You no bet,
0: uh, Jake. Thank you for your time uh, tonight as well. Again, as I've told everybody else, you want to reach out to Chris on the outside of the show. It's always available to you, 1-855-821-5900. Let's get to one more of these uh, this particular topic pal that is top mistakes employers make yeah it's a big one refusing to accommodate a medical leave that's not smart
1: yeah i mean it's it's just what uh jake had had called mm-hmm. in about you know asking for accommodation or maybe there's other scenarios where you're not ready to go back to work maybe th- there aren't any restrictions or limitations you're just you know given the the clearance from your doctor to stay off work And and you tell your employer, you know, hey, look, I actually can't do any of the job, and I'm going to be off for three months, six months, nine months a year. I mean, it could be years, and your employer may still have to easily accommodate that absence. So, whether you're an employee who's ready to go back but with a few modifications, or you're an employee who's not ready to go back and needs some time to recover away from the workplace your employer is still going to have that same duty to accommodate. And, you know, there are definitely scenarios where I've seen employers sort of say, look, it's been six months, it's been a year, we've accommodated your absence from work long enough, uh, you know, enough's enough, we're just going to let you go or, or whatever. And, and they think that because they've waited several months or even more than a year, that that means they've waited long enough, when in fact there are cases where employers have been told they have to hold positions open for two, three, four, five years, let alone two, three, four, five months. Um, So as I say, whether you're in a situation like Jake or you're just asking for some time off, your employer is going to have to give you that time off. And if you come back, your employer is going to have to reinstate you to the position that you had before you went on a medical leave or one that's very, very similar to it. So there's also scenarios where you come back to a completely different job. They've filled yeah. your, your job, and, and they say, we don't have a, a role like that anymore. And that, even in, if it's motivated in good faith by the employer, that can still land them in a lot of hot water, and um, you know, there could be tons of damages potentially owed to the employee.
0: And that's a good way to wrap it up, my friend. Nicely done, Chris. As always, you can reach out now that we are complete for tonight. Uh, the email address we always use, help at employmentlawyer.ca. The website is pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. It's free. It's anonymous. You'll have access to the severance calculator. And if you prefer a good old-fashioned phone call, if you answer your preference to Chris and his team, 1-855-821-5900. See you next time. Catch you next time on The Employment Law Show.